0: So, Kelly was asking me what I was going to preach about this week because I'd asked her if she'd be interested in telling the children's story, and so we were wanting to coordinate our thoughts. And I told her, I'm going to be talking about the second coming because we are Seventh-day Adventists. And so, she said, so what are you going to say about the second coming? And then I realized that maybe I wasn't talking about the second coming, but I was sure that the second coming is what was driving my thoughts today. And I'm still convinced of that. But let me tell you a story that will help you to understand where I'm coming from and maybe to be, it will help us to be on the same page here. If you can imagine, being in a large field, it is dark. And there are families with their children who have gathered, there's about 30 of us. We all have flashlights. And we are going to play flashlight tag. So we have about three acres actually in front of us, quite a large field, that has been recently, there's recently been an alfalfa harvest, and there are large round rolls of alfalfa that stand about this tall scattered around this field, so there's places to hide. And the goal is for the person that is it, that they have to flash a person and to be able to identify who it is. So the goal is to not wear clothing that is distinct from anybody else's. So everyone's wearing dark clothing because they don't want to stand out, and off they go. Now if you've played hide-and-go-seek or flashlight tag, there is this point at which people say, Ready or not. And I can just feel my stomach. There's anticipation and there's a little anxiety at the same time. And it was this anxiety, anticipation, tension that I have been living through more. I've been aware of that more, that got me to thinking about the second coming. In listening and reading through headline after headline after headline, my thought continued to be, Jesus, you can't wait much longer. There has been an escalation that I believe is clearly what the Bible describes that is happening before Jesus comes. I, there's just, we, we see this happening. As I look at political common comments as well as commentary, there is A growing intolerance that makes it easier for me to believe that there is a beast inside of this lamb that we call the United States. It's much easier for me to envision scenarios of things falling apart and becoming really difficult for God's people. So how do I navigate as someone who believes in the soon coming of Jesus, who is seeing more and more evidence that my hope is not in vain, that there is a revealing coming before our eyes of what happens to a world that abandons their savior and creator? So the sermon, as Kelly found out, was not proving how close Jesus' coming is. That was not where the sermon was going to go as a second coming sermon. But it was coming from someone who is experiencing this escalation of circumstances in which we live, whether it's involving weather And I just, I was reading all of the places around the world who are experiencing the devastation of flood. And just looking at all the people that are underwater or their crops underwater. I was looking at statistics about COVID. And during COVID, I kept watching all of these statistics that were numbers bigger than I could really deal with and I wasn't sure what all that meant. Uh, so I was pulling up some year in mortality figures for the United States. <clears throat> and I saw that in 2000, beginning around 2012 <clears throat> to 2013, if, if each year we would, if every couple of years we would go up about 100,000 if, if in deaths until we got to 2019 where we jumped 500,000 total deaths in the United States. And I realized that regardless of where I came out on the role of COVID and how it was being used for whoever's purposes, (laughs) if at all, I I think the devil is using it for his purpose. That's what I believe. Uh, I don't believe a political party has the advantage when it comes to these things, but And we have continued. So 2020, 2021, we both, both years uh, had this huge escalation of 500,000 more deaths than typical for our, our country. I look at economics Each month I do a tabulation of my net worth, which is kind of a futile thing because my net worth is mostly on paper. <laughs> it's mostly on paper. But when the stock market is doing going well, it's it feels good to do those net worth tabulations and, and track them uh, until the last three months or so. Um, and uh, So I was reading about uh, NASDAQ and S&P 500s and how we've been going through these adjustments this summer and we're kind of back to where we were two years ago. Um, So I was thinking, you know, as somebody that's getting closer to retirement, you know, what are the implications of this and what decisions should I be making? so, in politics, in economy, in weather, in all of these areas, I was just reading news that didn't instill a lot of confidence in me, unless I put it in the framework of what is it going to be like as we approach the coming of Jesus, And then it's reassuring. There's a part of this chaos that is reassuring because it can't keep going on indefinitely. It just seems like there's no way for that to happen. And so I was reading some reflections about Moses In chapter 31 of Exodus, Moses is coming to what he knows is the end of his time here on earth. He is sharing some final thoughts to these people that he has led and been with for 40 years. You know, what a ministry. What a ministry. But he's ending his ministry not having accomplished What God set him out to do. But in Exodus 31, we read about Moses talking to these people, and he says, I know you. (laughs) I know how rebellious you have been. How much more after I'm gone? The phrase from which I took our sermon title today comes from this, how much more. In the Bible it's sometimes used, we we use it as a contrast. We have this situation, how much more in this situation. Moses' observation there in Exodus 31 is a reminder to me about how consistent human nature has been over the millennia? That human nature is of this rebellious streak. And if we've been this way under good cir- circumstances, then how much more if things become more chaotic? as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian who lives within these dynamics. It seems that I have the privilege of approaching whatever is in front of me (coughs) fearless, that I don't need to wake up with anxiety because there is some context within which I can place things that if my net worth goes up and down, I can remember that Jesus clothes the flowers. He cares for the birds. How much more will he care for us? Even Jesus used this idea of contrast to show So we can go more onto the chaos side as Moses was thinking about, or we can go more to the care and providence that God is taking care of us. We can also ask the question, how much more? And personally, as I was listening to the news, I was wondering how much more You know, how much more will it go? How much more can I take? There's a lot of different ways in which I can spin that question. How much more? What do we bring to this world and to this experience? What do we have that is of benefit and value? I've been more and more, I've been wanting to be more and more intentional that in how I live that is coming from a standpoint that is able to show somebody what the benefit of my perspective is. And in my instance as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, it's that there is a benefit not just to my perspective, but to my convictions. To my beliefs. So, I want to look at a few more places in Scripture together to be able to leave you with some of God's Word rather than my Word, There is more that is happening that is good news for us that is in response to the more that is happening in the world. Turn with me to Matthew chapter seven. We are here at towards the end of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7. So Jesus is talking then and says in verse 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? This is a relevant context for me today. Surrounded that by people who may not have the best intentions all the time but can still do good, how much more will our Heavenly Father do good to us? And can I... Get up in the morning with that confidence that my Heavenly Father not only has good intentions, but He has the will and capacity to carry it out, as the story that Kelly shared, that it's exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask or think. The scripture reading that Paul shared with us from Hebrews is a scripture reading that's a really valuable contrast that uses this phrase of how much more, that if the sacrificial system was an effective method of connecting us with the will of God, how much more is the life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ? So getting to the real thing We don't just go through a symbol anymore, not just something that is pointing forward to the real thing, but we have the real thing. Although sometimes I find that it is an easy trap to fall into that we still stop short of the real thing. And we'll talk about the cross without entering into a relationship with the one who is on the cross. And we still can keep this at arm's length. So it's really easy to describe what a relationship with God could be rather than actually participating in that relationship. So we have this more that is available to us. And there are some mores that we can have that are contrasted to something else. So we can have, I think of the story of Elisha. Elisha is having an effective ministry. God is working through him in some very specific ways and even the king of Syria is aware that God's presence in this man's life is making life difficult for the king, and so he decides that he's going to go and capture Elisha. He finds out where Elisha is, and Elisha wakes up one morning with this town surrounded by him, and the story is of Elisha's servant seeing what is there panicking and do you remember Elisha's response? It's in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16, if you want a scriptural anchor point for this. Elisha responds, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's a reality that's important for me to remember when I wake up. If, if I want to know how is a Seventh-day Adventist Christian going to wake up in the morning in light of the news that I th- will have when I choose to look at it. It's to remember that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And you can bring any scenario to me that if I'm approaching that underneath the sovereignty of Jesus Christ, then those who are with me, those who are with you are more than those who are with them. I need that reminder in Psalm forty. We find the psalmist talking about how wonderful are the works of Yahweh, how many are your thoughts towards us which cannot be counted. If we would declare the works of God, they would be more than can be numbered. Numbered. That's a reality that as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I would do better (laughs) to practice that more. To be remembering, if I would try to number the acts of God, it would be a good thing, rather than just going through life and not being very thoughtful about that. When Patients with depression would come to see my dad when he was uh, practicing uh, in family medicine. One of the exercises he would give them would be the simple exercise of writing two new things every day for which they were thankful. My dad had a notebook where he had for several years practiced this. New things every day. Now, it wasn't that he didn't go back and revisit some of those things, but to be looking for different ways in which to identify and describe how God was at work. There's an in- encouraging contrast that we read in the book of Revelation that uses this more con-comparison. In the letters to the seven churches that we find in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there's one that I hope that that you can claim this promise for yourself. As you're wondering how God would like to describe you, God says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, and your patience. And as for you, the last are greater than the first. Sometimes the devil would like for us to believe that it is inevitable that we're going to start with a bang and then peter out. But God's desire for us is that we end much, much more strongly than we would ever have imagined I have three last verses that I wanted to close with. And I contrasted, I I chose these to end with because I enjoy playing with words. And I realized that some of the best promises are not when there's a lot more of something, but when there is no more. Of something. So I want to leave you with nothing. (laughs) That's what we're going to leave with. Going back to Moses, he has just left Egypt. He has all of these people that are with him. They're camping now right in front of the Red Sea. They've come up against, the, the Bible picture is they, there's some mountains on one side and the sea on the other, and they are very effectively trapped. So, Pharaoh comes, he hears about them, but Moses' response to them is this. If you are facing what seem to be inescapable challenges, Here's a promise for you. Moses says, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see again, no more, forever. There are a number of obstacles I'm going to start praying this prayer for. That I will see them no more forever. I think that's a great combination uh, to, have, to have them be no more forever. But God accomplished that in this, in this instance, didn't He? And for us to be able to look back on those times when God has worked specifically and marvelously for us. Um, when we are facing those challenging times which do come upon us, for us to be able to hang on to those uh, are so valuable for us. In Hebrews, I've picked and chosen, I don't always go around the Bible like this, but this seemed appropriate time to do today. Hebrews chapter eight, a second promise, to go with our chapter 9 one. God says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sin and their lawless deeds. I will remember. How much does God remember these things? He remembers them no more. There's nothing there. So, there are times when nothing, (laughs) having nothing left, is really good when we're when the devil has tempted you with the memory of your failures and your failings to know that we have a God who has a plan to put them completely behind not only completely behind us but completely behind God as well what a miracle that is that God forgets. (laughs) The last one, Revelation 21, the best of the nothings. (laughs) Revelation 21 is within the context of things being transformed If we know as Seventh-day Adventist Christians that life as we are experiencing right now cannot go on forever, that is what the Bible promises. It is not going to go on forever. Um, There's going to be a break in continuity. There's going to be a restart for us So God is the point of continuity for us because He is continuing through this, but He's able to bring us back to His original desire for us. It's Revelation chapter 21 verse 4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Then there's a whole list of things that are no more. There's no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. It's gonna be better than a hip replacement, Paul, (laughs) although it's really exciting to see you on your feet today, so we are very happy for you. That this is no more Whether it is that internal pain that happens because of things that we are thinking about or remembering that we associate with life, I think we all have experiences that have that pain that is part of us. Whether it's physical pain, some of you deal with very real, specific challenges. that are not just uncomfortable, that, but can be exhausting and all-consuming in terms of how, how it takes over your life. For us to be able to have hope beyond today, as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I want to keep this hope alive. I want to keep this reality alive. I want to know what scriptures I anchor this hope on, to not become complacent that life is just going to continue and continue and continue. Now how long that is, I'm willing to trust that to God. How I live can be my choice. Because at some point in time, there's going to be a loud cry that says, ready or not, here I come. I'm excited for that day.